We here at Three Guys and a Flick podcast would like to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Hey, man, it's me, Kevin Smith, the annoying voice of podcasting, and you're listening to the non-annoying Three Guys and a Flick. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. And so the days of the samurai had ended. Nations, like men, it is said sometimes, have their own destiny. As for the American captain, no one knows what became of him. Some say that he died of his wounds. Others, that he returned to his own country. But I like to think he may have at last found some small measure of peace that we all seek and few of us ever find. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, The Last Samurai. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from the aftermath of a battle on the island of Japan, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. I thought you were going to tell me to sheath my sword. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing tonight? Aces, baby. Tonight we are talking about The Last Samurai. The Last Samurai comes to us via the Bronco helmet from our friend down in Turkey, Nolan. Professor, it was your pick. You picked The Last Samurai. Had you seen The Last Samurai before? I've seen it a couple times. Uh, comic book guy, had you seen it? I believe I'd seen it once. Yeah, and, and I had seen it once too. So going back and watching it again, as we're doing what we're doing... I'm looking forward to talking about it. Can so, I, can I just apologize ahead of time for any names that we butcher throughout this podcast? Uh, any names you butcher, because guess what? I'm not even going to attempt it. Okay. So, there you go. So, hey, Nolan, uh, be safe over in Turkey. Hope you enjoy listening. This one's for you. Released on December 5th, 2003, The Last Samurai was directed by Edward Zwick. The screenplay by John Logan, Edward Zwick, and Marshall Hertzovitz. And it stars Tom Cruise, Timothy Spall, Ken Watanabe, Billy Conley, Tony Gwynn, Hiroki Sonata, Kuruki, and a bunch of other samurai. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $140 million and brought in $457 million. You know, that's crazy money because it sure didn't do that in America. That, no. that did not come from America. It made most of its money in Japan. It's in the name. All right, Last Samurai. Speaking of the name, I always assumed The Last Samurai referred to, like, Tom Cruise's character or the last one that died. I guess that was not correct. No, I know, and I just found that out because I read your notes. Uh, they meant the samurai as a whole. Yeah, because apparently samurai is the plural version of samurai. So they meant all samurai. It was the last of all samurai. One person that you didn't mention I thought was interesting that I just, looking at my notes, just realized Hans Zimmer did the score for this movie. That would explain why I liked it. Apparently, it was his 100th score. Oh, yeah? Uh, Hans Zimmer can do no wrong in my book. Yeah, man. He, he's, he's fucking awesome. He's top notch. Yeah, totally. And, and he certainly has some Oscars underneath his belt. Uh, he's been nominated a bunch of times, but, uh, you know, certainly, you know, some, some crowd-pleasing uh, uh, pieces by him. Uh, Man of Steel, Black Hawk Down, Dark Knight, 
uh, uh, Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick. I mean, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, he's he's definitely uh, made a strong mark on this movie, and it really helps the movie a lot. Yeah, and it it does help the movie a lot. And I remember thinking back uh, while I was watching it that I really dug the soundtrack for this, and I didn't put two and two together, and I must have missed his name, but hey, that might have up to my fuck score just a little bit. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, come on. He also did Gladiator. Oh, I'm well aware. He also of, did Rain Man. Oh, for fuck's sake. Pirates of the Caribbean. He also did Inception. Any others? Lion King. Interstellar. Dune. Yeah. So, yeah. Da Vinci Code. He, he's fucking awesome. Did he do Interstellar? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He got oh. nominated for Which it. Which one did he? Oh, he didn't do Tenet. And I remember watching Tenet with Keenan going, dude, I love Hans Zimmer. He's the man. And Keenan looks at me and goes, are you fucking high? He didn't do this. And I said, you (laughs) cannot tell me that doesn't sound like Hans Zimmer. Different podcast for a different time. This Edward Zwick. um, Have you guys seen any other of his The only thing of note that I have of him is Legends of the Fall. That's the only other thing that I really relate to him with. Have you ever seen Legends of the Fall? Yeah. I liked it at the time I saw it. Have you seen it? Nope. All I remember about Legends of the Fall is Brad Pitt's long, flowy hair and the fact that I think I cried through 90% of that fucking movie. And Tom Skerritt. Oh, and our buddy Henry Thomas. Yeah. 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 Legends of the Fall. Uh, I guess he apparently has done a lot of TV and he has done some other films like Love and Other Drugs with um, Gyllenhaal and Hathaway. And then the... Uh, Dr. Cuckoo Pants, Jack Reacher. Right. That, that seems to be, seems to be his other calling card is the Jack Reacher. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of uh, Samurai Cuckoo Pants, what'd you guys think of Tom Cruise in this one? He was Tom Cruise. It really was, right? Yeah. Normally, I complain about Tom Cruise besides being, what do you call him, Dr. Cuckoo Pants? Yes, I do. Uh, for playing the same type of character every single time. You could almost take his character from this movie, put it over in this movie, and he's playing the same person. This time, I thought he did a little bit better with creating a character who had PTSD, uh, you know, drunkard, who finds redemption in the end. I thought he did a little bit better of stretching his acting potential here, but no, about the same. No. No, yeah, I thought he was passable. I thought, I mean, it's a Tom Cruise vehicle. So A, you know, he's going to do his homework. B, you know, he's going to bring everything he has to it. And C, at some point you're going to just go, okay, let's go with it. He spent two years preparing for this role. That doesn't shock me whatsoever. No, that's Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what'd you guys think of the supporting cast? I loved, um, I can't remember the name of the character, but the head samurai. Yeah, I loved him in this movie. I thought he was just the scene stealer. He got nominated for supporting actor. Yeah. Oh, what Christopher Nolan movie was he in? Oh, I'm sorry, that's a trick question because there's a couple. What Christopher What Christopher Nolan movie that you would love is he in? The Dark Knight. And I don't know. Inception. No, he wouldn't love Inception. I've yes, never seen Inception. Yes, he would. No, he wouldn't. I I don't think he would. I don't think he would love it. We should probably do Inception. That's what will my rating be? Oh. For Inception? No, 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 oh, no, no. We'll no to... Now we have to do it. Stop uh, right there. Um, and no. Then, and then you can rate him. He's Ra's al Ghul. Yes. He is the fake Ra's al Ghul. You're correct. 
Yes, he is the fake Ra's al Ghul. I stand corrected. But yeah, he's in Batman Begins. Mm. So there you go. There I was go. close with with Batman at least. Well, well, what other movie was he in? You said that there was two that he was Inception. In. Oh, Inception. He's also in Inception. Okay. So yeah. Uh, Timothy Spall. What do you guys think of his character? I always think of Wormtail. Yeah, he's he's very endearing in this movie. I think so. He's the uh, he's our narr- narrator. Yeah, and he's picked to go along and you know document whatever he sees. And yeah, yeah. he's he's kind of that. Yeah, he's our narrator. He he's good, and I think in the scenes he's in, but he's mostly just a background character. You don't really pay much attention to him. Okay. But they keep sprinkle, sprinkling him throughout the movie. You know, he, he follows along with, uh, you know, the outlaws as they uh, break uh, Kazumoto out. And then he is there documenting the uh, the samurai, you know, with images of them before their big battle. Yeah. So, you know, he, he continues to sprinkle himself in the movie. Yeah, I thought he did a great job outside of me always picturing Wormtail. <laughs> That's what you do. Yeah. Did you guys know much about Billy Connolly? Uh, I know that he's a comedian, and I've seen him in a bunch of things, most notably is the Boondock Saints. Uh, but yeah, I, I saw him in He it. was on TV. He replaced, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. but Howard Hessman Howard on Hes- Head of the Class. Of the oh, my class. God, I just remembered that. But if you ever get a chance to watch his stand-up, he is really, really funny. That's what I've heard. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't put my finger on where I knew him from, but I have definitely had some time with him. Yeah, yeah. I would have loved to see a bit more of him in this movie, but it was pretty poignant the way they took him out. It's war, baby. C'est la guerre. Mm-hmm. We got a bit with William Atherton as the Winchester rep guy. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, and I was thinking, oh my god, it's Dick Thornburg. Yep. Yeah. What's the name of the actor who plays? Uh, the lieutenant colonel or whatever, the one that Tom Cruise hates. Tony Goldwyn. Tony Goldwyn. He plays a dick, I think, in every movie he's been in. Oh, I agree. <laughs> yeah, he he's does. another one of those actors who's just good at being a dick. I think it's the look, right? I mean, when he's on screen with Tom Cruise, you can feel Tom Cruise's disdain for him. And there is a line where he says, you know, I'll kill whoever you want for 500 bucks a month, but you? I'll kill for free. Yeah, I thought that was a great line. Yeah, the only other place that I really remembered him from was Ghost. And he's also in, uh, I think he was in a show called Scandal. And yeah, he Ghost is where I first placed him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Professor, do you want to mention any of the awards that this was nominated for? Well, it didn't win any, but uh, as I already stated, it got a uh, supporting actor. It was nominated for art and set direction, costume, and sound mixing. Yeah, I thought it was uh, crazy that it didn't win any. I wonder what it was up against that year. Oh, you know what? Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Oh, that would make sense. Didn't, did that one sweep the awards that year? Well, it did. It didn't sweep these categories necessarily, but it did if it won, if it was nominated because it didn't lose. Yeah. So, I'm not. Uh, I'm sure production design. It had to have. Uh, what else was it? Art and set direction, costume. Oh, fuck yeah. But we digress. I have a question for both of you, and this is not coming from any type of personal opinion, uh, but it's something that's come up on past shows. Uh, this movie feels like it's supposed to be historically accurate, but turns out they kind of fictionalized a lot of the story, a lot of the characters, and a lot of what happened to the samurai. 
does that change your opinions or does that affect your opinions about this movie at all? It can, but it largely comes from my my angle of approach to the movie. If my angle of approach to the movie is somewhat reluctant or I don't want to necessarily say hesitancy, I am going to tend to be a bit more nitpicky about stuff as opposed to if I am feeling appreciative or complimentary in general of the movie that I'm willing to be a little more cavalier about, well, let's just pay attention to what the movie's talking about as opposed to saying it's trying to be historically accurate. If it's trying to be historically accurate and it says it up front, okay, then I'm willing to, to embrace that. If it's not saying that up front and I have a general appreciation or, or a, a positive association with it, then I'm willing to let things go. Going into the movie, I already knew that there were some historical inaccuracies, so I was able just to watch the movie for the movie's sake of just, you know, I'm watching a movie and to see if I would enjoy the movie. There were things like, I guess, back then, uh, the emperor never spoke English, so there was none of that in those scenes. He would have never been involved in any kind of trade deals. Uh, the samurai didn't die out like that. They actually went on to become politicians and artists and farmers and things like that. They went, they just moved on and they were never really considered the protectors of Japan. So they really built that up in this movie to be a completely different story. Were the ninjas the protectors of Japan? No, they were used during a time and they were built up over a while, uh, but they really never were considered the official protectors of Japan or defenders of Japan, anything like that. I will say that there are two movies in particular that I can think of where I watched it and I really enjoyed it and then I find out about historical inaccuracies and it really uh, soured my opinion about the movie and I haven't gone back to watch them since. The first one is Bohemian Rhapsody and the other one is, uh, I think it's called Green Card, you know, with Viggo Morgensen. Green Book. Green Book, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so those two movies, finding out that they weren't all that accurate is just like, oh, and I have little appetite to go back and watch them again. Whereas initially when I saw them in the theater, like, fuck yeah. Yeah. The only film I think that really takes me out of the historical fact, once you find out it's all bullshit, it's blood sport. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That one was a, bu a big bummer for me when I found out it me was too. all bullshit. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So there's, there's something to be said about your point there. Comic book guy for sure. <sighs> Is it trivia time? Well, yes, Don. I believe it would be trivia time. In our continuing pursuit to crown the master of movie trivia, I've prepared a series of questions related to the movie we are currently reviewing. Please wait until I finish each question before answering, Don. <laughs> Why did Captain Nathan Algren go to Japan? For to money. kill people. Money. Closer to what can say. He was hired to train the Japanese army. During Algren's stay in the samurai village, he, he was cared for by a woman named Taka. What was her relationship to Katsumoto? She was the brother of uh, Watanobe. Uh, Kat, Katsumoto, sorry. No, he, she was the sister. Yeah, she was of the sister. Katsumoto. Sister. Yeah, she was the brother. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, you didn't see that version? Oh, fuck. Was I watching the wrong one? Yeah. What city... Is Nathan in when we first see him? London. Professor, you got a guess? San Francisco. San Francisco is correct. Hey, fucker. After Katsumoto and his samurai attacked a railroad, 
The Japanese army was ordered to go in and confront them. Why did Algren oppose this? Because they, they weren't, weren't ready. ready. Exactly. Good call. During the Japanese army's first encounter with the samurai, Algren killed a samurai named Hirotaro. What color armor was Hirotaro wearing? Red. Very good. Nathan travels to Japan to train the Japanese army. What is the name of the harbor he lands at? He lands at the Yoshino province. The harbor name, though? That's pretty good, though. That's more than I would know. The name was Yokohama. While Algren resided in the samurai village, an elderly samurai was assigned to follow him. What did Algren nickname the samurai? Bob. When Nathan is fighting the samurai, he uses a flagpole to protect himself. What animal was on that flag? Tiger. A dragon. Tiger. In Tokyo, Nathan decides to return to the samurai village. Bagley decides to go talk to him in his room. What was Nathan's room number? The fuck are you talking about? Man, I don't know. 69. 301. It's a very famous number. 69. 301. It's the answer to life, the universe, and everything. 69. 42. No, dude, the... The magic number is 69. Whoever's no. telling you otherwise is wrong. I think some of our listeners will understand the answer to life, universe, and everything is 42. Yeah, well, they're wrong. But go on. I think the professor has stolen it this week, so he is now in the lead. In 1876, former U.S. Army Captain Nathan Algren, a skilled soldier who has become a bitter alcoholic traumatized by the atrocities he committed during the American-Indian Wars, is approached by his former commanding officer, Colonel Bagley. Bagley asks him to train the newly created Imperial Japanese Army for a Japanese businessman, Amura, who intends to use the army to suppress a samurai-headed rebellion against Japan's new emperor. Despite his hatred of Bagley, the impoverished Algren takes the job for the money. He is accompanied to Japan by his old friend Sergeant Zebulon Gant. Upon arriving, Algren meets Simon Graham, a British translator knowledgeable about the samurai. So, this movie kicks off and we are introduced to the folklore of the creation of Japan. Yep. And then we have a little... Uh, dream montage of Katsumoto in the bit with the little tiger. And then we get the title card. I was struck by the tiger and why was that in there? And then only to have that happen for that's when we get Algren and he's doing his fighting later on that I was wondering if he was having a vision uh, that was going to be for uh, Algren later. Wow. Or yeah. foreshadowing. There you go. Look I was at trying that. really hard not to say that. but <laughs> Well, at some point, you knew he was going to come back with that, right? Uh, and then we're introduced to... Algren. Uh, Samurai Cuckoo Pants. I did think this was a, an interesting way to introduce to our, him, introduce his character to us and just how damaged he is. Yeah, and I feel like I've seen this trope a bunch of times, and what kind of stood out to me here was that, you know, Cruz sells it. And the whole bit where he's sitting in the backstage dressing room and they're pumping him up to come out there to sell these rifles. And then he comes out there and flips out. And 
he's very charming and very charismatic while he's doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's, is it Conley who's in the audience? Yeah. Yeah. The whole bit, uh, firing the rifle off, you know, across over the crowd's head. Yeah. That got that your attention. Yeah. You know what scene that kind of reminded me of the way he was talking to that kid? Uh, the same scene from Jurassic Park with the whole raptor claw. Oh, everything. when Sam Neill yeah, 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 talks yeah. about <laughs> gutting him and all that. It really reminded me of that scene. Oh, sure. So Gant uh, approaches Cuckoo Pants and says, you know, you have this. we have this opportunity. We got to go talk to your former lieutenant, buddy pal. and <laughs> Buddy pal. That's- and he's kind of like, fuck that. And we can tell already that Cruz is kind of fucked up. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of PTSD going on and a serious alcohol problem. Yeah. Which I'm sure really helps the, helps the issue. He's also introduced to Omura and Omura offers him what, like $250 or $300 and, and Algren, he comes right back with $500, $500 a month Mm -hmm. to train his army. And so that's the deal. He, yeah, he says, and, and he says he's happy to do it and hell he'd, He'd he'd be happy to kill for free. Sure. And you get the feeling right away in this movie that, first of all, uh, Tom Cruise's character, he's out of fuckets. He just doesn't give a crap anymore. And he's also kind of just waiting to die. I mean, he's like... More or less. He's just on a a road to basically kill himself. I very much felt that as well. Yeah. 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 If it happens, okay. If it doesn't happen, okay. And so he agrees to this. And he is sent off to Japan, and he's got a sail there. How long does it take from San Francisco to Japan? Back then, probably about a month. I don't know if it would take a month. That doesn't sound. No, no, that no. doesn't sound out of the ordinary. Okay, but that's a steamship, right? As opposed to a sailboat. So I, I, I'm guessing. Uh, so I don't know. I'll, I'll bet you it. I'll bet you it'd be at least a week. If they're leaving out of San Francisco. I think at heading, a minimum it would be a week. They have right? to head past Hawaii, probably to hit Japan. I don't know. Maybe a week or maybe a month. I don't know. If only there was some way to figure this out. Don, okay. why'd you have to bring this shit up? Hey, man, I was just curious because as I was watching the movie, he, Cuckoo Pants is sitting on the bow or on the side, and it's a nice little montage, right? And he's doing his narration, and he's getting ready to go face the challenges that he's about to go face. And I thought of King Kong, the Peter Jackson one, yeah. when Jack Black and all of them are yeah, on the boat. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, very yeah. similar, right? Anyways. So we get there and we meet Simon Graham, the, the British uh, guy that is going to more or less fill us in the audience as to what the heck is going on in the culture of Japan. Right. And he is his translator, which good thing to have. He's also the guy that tells him what's right and wrong. Like, you know, you can look at the emperor, but you don't do this and you don't do that. And so he's kind of their cultural expert as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's been there for a while. Right. Mm -hmm. And he takes us to meet the emperor. Algren learns that the Imperial soldiers are simply conscripted peasants with shoddy training and little discipline. While training them to shoot, Algren is informed that the samurai are attacking one of Omura's railroads. Omura sends the army there, despite Algren's protests that they are not ready. The battle is a disaster, and the undisclosed conscripts are routed and Gant is killed. Algren fights to the last before he is surrounded. Expecting to die, he is taken prisoner. 
when samurai leader Kazumoto decides to spare him. General Hazagawa, a former samurai serving in the Imperial Army, commits seppuku rather than be taken prisoner. Algren is taken to Kazumoto's village and, at Kazumoto's request, is taken in by Taka, Kazumoto's sister and the widow of the samurai killed by Algren. While he is poorly treated at first, he eventually gains the samurai's respect and grows close to Kazumoto. With the help of Taka, Algren overcomes his alcoholism and guilt, learns the Japanese language and culture, and is trained in the art of Kenjutsu. He develops sympathy for the samurai, who are upset that the pace of modern technology has eroded the traditions of their society. Algren and Taka develop an unspoken affection for each other. So we see the training begin, and we learn a little bit more about the samurai. And then we get to have our first flashback with Algren, where he is re, uh, reliving uh, a massacre being led by Colonel Bagley. And it's on Native Americans being just slaughtered. So we kind of see why Algren has kind of given up on life and given up on society and uh, just doesn't give a fuck he, He's done so many despicable things. Yeah, he even says a few times to think that he hates himself. Yeah, and he has seen unspeakable things. He has done unspeakable things. So what does he do? He hides at the bottom of a bottle and he thinks training this army will be easy. He'll do it. But unfortunately for him and the army, uh, the samurai have advanced and they're going to attack one of the railroads. And so Omura and Bagley say, this army's got to go now. And and Cruz even makes it a point to show them that he's not ready. That whole... Gives them a little example. Yeah. Well, and this was a twofold example, I thought of. One, it's an example to show that they're not ready, but it's also an example of what we were talking about earlier, his death wish. He almost wanted the soldier to shoot him so that he, you know, wouldn't have to continue. And I, I thought, because didn't he say somewhere along, I want to die or just kill me or something like that? Well, I'm sure he did. But at that moment, I don't, I, A, I think you're right. I don't think he cared if he died or not. But his point was that they're not ready. And he was absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so after he comes back from the, the hail or the, the, the bales of hay, Tat, uh, pats the guy on the shoulder, and then he says to Bagley, they're not ready. And what does Bagley say? The regiment leaves at 6 a.m. Yep. So come hell or high water, they're going to war. What did you guys think of this first battle? It was intense. And, you know, interestingly enough, the battle only lasted for about three minutes. But I, I really thought that the choreography that they give us with the battle was was good. I thought the surrounding was constricting. Uh, they were in a forest and there was fog and, but I thought it was shot very well and predictable. Mm-hmm. You knew exactly what was going to happen. We knew that these soldiers were going to panic. Yeah. And I thought that uh, when the samurai came through the, the mist. Right. Or the fog. Right. On horses. Yep. I thought that was very effective. And then I also thought these guys have guns and these guys have swords. It should be a no brainer, but no, not at all. The samurai whoop that ass well you could see kind of what algren was going for he wanted them to get up close because you're right they don't carry guns they're coming straight at him you can shoot them close up because he knows that his guys have no aim exactly they can't shoot anything so wait till it gets close except somebody decides to shoot early which causes everybody to shoot early and back then those guns had to be kind of reloaded all the time (laughs) yeah so that gave the samurai the advantage yeah 
And the samurai took advantage of it, and the samurai came out victorious. Uh, this is where Gant gets it too. I didn't. Yep. I didn't expect for his character to die so quick. I think it was one of those that you know we've talked about before of to try to show us or try to say to us this shit is real and anybody could die at any time. Well, well, similar. Well, and, and there's something else that I think comes into play for Algren's character. Algren's character is one of these people in war that just doesn't die. Everybody yeah. around him, he has seen death more more times than anybody else, and for whatever reason, he just doesn't die. And so they get him off his horse, they're starting to kick his ass, and you can notice that Kazumoto's expression as he's watching Cruz. He's a warrior. And he's astonished. I mean, he's amazed yeah. about what he's seen, and I like the bit where the dude is going to finish Cruz, and Kazumoto gives him this look like, well, that was entertaining, that was cool, but let's get back to business and move on, fully expecting to the samurai to finish out his... But Algren doesn't have any of it. Nope. Nope. And he ends up killing the samurai, and then everyone's going to kill him, and Kazumoto's like, wait, hang on. He just killed one of us. He took on six of you guys. Let's talk to this guy, right? He gets to know his enemy, and he doesn't treat him with violence or anything. He just... Wants to know. And he also has honor, and he he respects what he sees in Algren. Yeah. He also doesn't have any resentment towards um, for especially killing his brother-in-law because it was a good death. It was a clean death. It was honorable. It was kill or be killed. He was defending himself. Uh, so he sees in Algren uh, a warrior spirit, as you mentioned earlier. And so they're taking him away, and as they are leading him away, Algren sees one of his uh, army lieutenants or well, colonels was, or yeah, whatever he was. he was like a general. Yeah, uh, but he was a former samurai, mm -hmm. and clearly he had ties with the samurai and Kazumoto, and so he decides to have the honorable death and kill himself. But Algren doesn't see it that way because, well, he's half dead and, well, he's American. Well, he also so. doesn't see because his back is turned to the guy who is committing sep seppuku. Uh, his back is turned, so he doesn't see him stab himself. He only sees the sword come down and take his head off. So he's back at this village now, and his wounds are being tended to by Taka. And we don't really know much about her yet, but we go on to obviously find out she is the or wife of the one that Tom Cruise killed. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. Yeah, curious that uh, Katsumoto was willing to do that. I guess in that samurai spirit, her husband had died a good death. So she really, while she didn't care for him and she didn't like him and she was pissed off at him, uh, she was being taught that this man really didn't do anything wrong in defending his own life. The hard part, I think, was for me was the children. The children having to live with this man that killed their father. Yeah, well, the whole situation would have sucked. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I mean. What do you think of uh, Tom Cruise acting of him going through, getting getting through his alcoholism? As he detoxes? Yeah. Um. I Yeah, I thought it was fine. Sucky! And they were like, nope, no sake for you. Um, we get to see some more flashbacks of him being tortured by his past. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he falls asleep, wakes up, and he's cured. And he so he, he had to go through some fucking withdrawals. 
So, and he decides to take a stroll around the village and just take in the sights. And he has a little follower, Bob, Bob. which immediately took me to Rocky Four. When Rocky goes to Russia, every time he goes outside, he has the two guys following him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but he gets to walk around the village, and he's not really a prisoner, but more of a viewer or more of a guest, I guess. Well, I like how they tell him right in the beginning, winter's about to hit, and you will not make it back to town alive if you even tried. Yeah. So there's no reason to even try to escape. So there was no reason to even hold him. Yeah. So he observes some of their training, but eventually he does end up to the temple where he meets Katsumoto. And they have a back and forth. I thought this was a great scene. And, you know, Kazumoto just says, what's your name? You know, and this is where Cruz is like, we don't behead our guys. And he's like, neither do we. It was an honorable fucking death. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I also like Kazumoto's whole thing about, uh, let's just have a good conversation. The very next shot that we get is, I think, a touching uh, representation that Algren realizes that he has um, some, I guess you could say, some sort of uh, respect for the people that are around him because he has his muddy boots go through the house, and then when he gets back to the house again, we see that his boots are taken off outside, and he walks in without his boots on as a, as a show of respect towards Taka. Yeah, well, when he walks out, he he sees the shoe shoe prints, and I'm thinking, God, what a fucking dick! And I'm glad that he learned that, you know. And, and it was a, it was a subtle thing to show, yeah. But I think it was important, yeah. Because that kind of sets the stage for everything that happens coming forward. He's starting to accept the fact that he's there. Can't do much about it. Already met with uh, Kazumoto. So might as well make the best of it. And then he's led to a dinner table where he sits with the little family. Then we get him outside where he is jousting with the boy. And we have Ujizu uh, take on Algren and... What we get in Algren is his just unwillingness to yield. He gets his he gets his uh, 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 he gets his feet knocked out from underneath him. His ass four, kicked basically four times, four times before he finally decides to stay down. And if you think about it, how it was cold and wet and all that kind of stuff, getting smacked by those like wooden swords, that would hurt like hell. Oh, what would those bruises look like the next day? And he gets up every time. And so I think that's that's where he starts again, like you were mentioning, that's where he starts winning their respect a little bit. Earning a little a little bit of respect out of them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's also where they, was it Kazimoto starts seeing that uh, not only can we learn from him and learn his ways, let's teach him our ways. And then we have a little conversation where uh, Kazimoto and Algren, they talk about General Custer. Yes. And, and that is uh, that is telling because that is something that's going to come up for the third act of the movie. Well, something that I really appreciate about this was the two different perspectives. How Algren describes him as a crazy man who led his soldiers in, just a few soldiers in, to fight off thousands of, of Native Americans, all that. And it was just a, a slaughter he led his soldiers into. And then you look at Kazimoto who's thinking, you know, a few versus many, that's a great way to die. That's such an honorable thing. That and is such a, a brave soldier. So Cusser is an amazing man. And here's Algren going, no, he's a lunatic. What side are you on? 
A lunatic. Oh yeah, he he's an asshole. He got all of his he got all of his soldiers. He's killed. a fucking nut job. So that should be red flag number one for Cruz with Kazumoto. But then we kind of see almost like a like you mentioned a Custer like battle at the end where these few samurai go against a huge giant army. And what happens? It's a slaughter, but it's an honorable death. It is a good death. Is uh, a good death. I agree to disagree. We see Algren donning a new wardrobe now. He is doing his little, uh, hi-ya, <laughs> you know, jump moves. Well, he gets he his has, Jedi robe. Yeah. And, and his Padawan. Higgin walks in on him. And, but Higgin bows to him, right? Mm-hmm. Higgin doesn't have to bow to Algren, but he does. And Algren bows back. And then we get the bit where he trains every day. He interacts with the family every day. He interacts with Kazumoto every day. We kind of get his routine and how it's all kind of coming together. Right. And at the same time, Taka, she's pleading, would you please, please, please get him out of my house? I don't want him there. It's and too rightfully so, yeah. And humiliating. And, yeah. He, and he smells. What do you think of the training montage of him uh, learning to get out of his own head? Where they say, you know, let go of everything else. You know, you're focusing on this. You're focusing on that. Just focus on nothing. And all of a sudden, he's able to stand up to the trainer. I thought it was all right. I, I thought it was all right. I mean, it's it's nothing new. Um, this this I, I kind of feel like <laughs> you use the force, Luke. I mean, it's the same shit. Yeah, I mean, basically, too. It's it's again. You know, this is something that he's going to use later on in the movie of getting everything out of his head and oh, focusing yeah. on just his target. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and you know, we we get a couple of montages in here to show the passage of time. It's winter time. And then we're coming out of wintertime, and it looks like he's teaching them how to play baseball, maybe. did Would you say about three months pass the whole time he's there? I was trying to guess probably as long as of a winter season. Yeah, because, yeah, when they go back to Tokyo, I'm guessing that's probably early spring. Yeah, I'm thinking he got stabbed like a pincushion in that first battle. He'd have some damage, I think, still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, there's definitely some time passing. But then we get to see here that he's coming along when you have the uh, the other samurai betting you know how how quickly is uh, how many hits yeah yeah, yeah. And, and so with that oh it's a draw and yeah. everybody's surprised by that so yeah he's he's starting along. to learn yeah and he's getting more grudgingly i think respect from these other samurai yeah you're also seeing his conversations with Kazimoto uh they're getting more peaceful and more thought out and like two friends having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like Neo and Morpheus. Or Obi-Wan and Luke. Yeah. One night, a group of ninja infiltrate the village and attempt to assassinate Kazumoto. Algren saves Kazumoto's life and then helps defend the village, concluding that Omura must have hired the ninjas. Kazumoto requests a meeting with Emperor Mijing in Tokyo. He brings Algren, intending to release him. Upon arriving in Tokyo, Algren sees that the Imperial Army has become a well-trained and fully equipped force led by Bagley. Kazumoto, to his dismay, discovers that the young and inexperienced Emperor has become a puppet of Omura. At a government meeting, 
Omura orders Kazumoto's arrest for carrying a sword in public and orders him to perform seppuku the next day to redeem his honor. Meanwhile, Algren refuses Bagley's offer to resume command of the army, prompting Omura to send assassins after him. But Algren kills the assailants and then assists the samurai in freeing Kazumoto. During the escape, Kazumoto's son Nobutada is mortally wounded, his sacrifice allowing the others to escape. So it's evening time, and we have the village all together, and they are partaking in a little community theater thing that they do, I guess, every once in a while to kind of sort of pass the time. Oh, sure. I thought of Tropic Thunder immediately, but that's, oh, just, yeah. that's just where my head goes. Uh, but yeah, Kazumoto's down there uh, yucking it up. A little and comedy show. They're having a good, good old time, and naturally, there are ninjas in the area. And Algren's... You know, soldier training, whatever, detects the ninja. Warns Kazumoto, a fight ensues, and Holgren kind of holds his own. But more importantly, he saves Kazumoto, showing that he wants to be one of them, really. He also... Part of the tribe, part, part of the clan, part of also, the samurai. He also saves Taka's family, her children. Yes. Which I think really does a turn for her. And after all of the things that he's seen, I think it's natural that he goes to protect the children. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Because that's where I would go. I, I gotta say Maybe. that uh, the uh, this whole fight sequence, I was uh, I was really impressed. I, I I really thought that the music was superb during the fight, and I I really think that it carried the uh, the intensity of the moment, and the uh, the fighting that takes place in here. It felt a little John Wickish, a little me. bit, mm-hmm. a little bit. And I, I, I really enjoyed this this moment, you know, watching them fend off, you know, their assailants. Right, right. And so it turns out that uh, Omura hired the ninjas, and now Kazumoto needs to go talk to the emperor. And so he takes Algren. They ride into town. Everyone's amazed that Algren's still alive. And he releases him. And then he goes in to talk to the emperor. Uh, did you see this coming? I saw it coming a mile away about the emperor not being able to be the emperor. Yeah. Because he's just a kid. Yeah. But we also get kind of information here that Kazimoto was the, one of the people helping train the emperor. Yeah. In kind of the samurais and the old traditional ways. And now this emperor is being talked into modernizing everything. Right. Which is kind of almost like a betrayal. But Kazimoto also still still traditionally sees the emperor as a living god on earth. Yeah. So yeah. he he won't even like tell him what to do or advise him. Whereas uh, the other guy, the business guy, Amuro, what's his name? Amuro. Amuro uh, just sees him as a pawn. And it turns out because Kazumoto won't conform, uh, Amuro's like, well, on a technicality, you're carrying a fucking sword. So guess what, bud? You're going to jail. Mm -hmm. That they, is one of the laws that they had passed when they were phasing out uh, samurai and the old traditional ways in Japan, they did pass a law. You couldn't carry a sword. Oh, I believe it. I'd like to go back to before we leave the village, we have Algren going to say goodbye to Taka and she's uh, bathing herself and she is in a white robe and, and she is a few words. And we have Algren saying, I have to go away. And he, uh, he thanks her uh, for, you know, for taking care of him and then he leaves. And when they leave, I, I really like the one of the shots that we get. The next uh, the next time we see her, 
she is inside of the house and she's no longer in white robes. All of her clothing is very dark and her hair is mussed up and we're watching the horses storm by outside the house. It, it was a really pretty shot to give the contrast of how content she was before she gets the news and then how upset she is after and then off he goes and she doesn't know if she's ever going to see him again. Right. And, and for all intents and purposes, it looks like that, you know, he's going back to join his people because Kazumoto gives his, uh, Algren's personal effects back to him. Mm-hmm. So Algren basically says uh, to Bagley, I'm not going to come back. I'm not going to lead the army. I'm done. And that's when uh, that business guy, Amuro, uh, decides, well, then he's got to die. Right. And this scene is kind of reminiscent of the scene that he kind of had in the village, you know, where he has to fend off himself. And this is the bit where he does close his eyes and remembers his training. And he is able to fend off the assassins. And he decides, you know what, this is bullshit. I'm going to go get Cosmodo and we're going to get out of here. What I didn't see happening in this is that Cosmodo losing his son. Yeah. Yeah. I figured somebody was going to die, but I didn't expect it to be the young guy. Yeah. There's a couple of little things that transpired during this time as well that we jumped over. We oh so quickly we get to see that the army now looks polished and they have howitzers and they have Gatling guns. And the other thing that we also get to see is that the emperor, he is unsure on how to proceed with this whole samurai bit and he asks Kazumoto for what should I do but Kazumoto's too humble to speak his mind to the emperor and so with that you know he's he's left to I I guess I don't know what to do and and the other thing that we also get is the Americans are really pressuring the emperor to sign this treaty with America and 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 they're dragging their feet on it. And, and Omura, he's like, well, I, we'll sign it when it's ready. Well, maybe we should be speaking with somebody else. Yes, maybe we should be speaking with somebody else. Should it be the French? Should it be the, the English? And so the Americans are being held at bay for the moment. But they're the ones that have given all of this military assistance to Japan so far. So things are really starting to come to a head here. There's one other... Uh, thing that also happens, which is we get to watch Graham come to the aid when he's being humiliated by the army soldiers, and and they end up slicing off his 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 samurai uh, hair, mm-hmm. which is got to be the ultimate humiliation for him to have that publicly publicly happen to him. Oh sure, sure. Yeah, Algren saw that he was about ready to pull his sword, which meant. He was going to die. Totally. And it was probably going to start a huge thing. So he basically went over and said, you know, basically hinted to him, you know, your hair is better than your life. Yeah. Sure. The other little bit that I really like here is Algren gets a visit from Colonel Bagley and he finds out that Algren's not sticking around and he is such a douche when he's talking to him. He starts rambling on and he looks so sinister in the lighting in the hotel room. I, you know, he just looks so evil. I, I, I was just struck by that. And he said, well, we should have a little trouble handling the rebellion, even without you, especially without you. Yeah. It's like, dick. What yeah, a well, dick. he wasn't a nice guy to begin with, you know. So, And, and you knew that uh, 
it was boiling up to the point where Algren was going to have a chance to kill this guy. Oh, sure. As the Imperial Army marches to crush the rebellion, a grieving Kazumoto contemplates seppuku. Algren convinces him to fight and joins the samurai in battle. The samurai use the Imperial Army's overconfidence to lure them into a trap. The ensuing battle inflicts massive casualties on both sides and forces the Imperial soldiers to retreat. Knowing that Imperial reinforcements are coming and defeat is inevitable, Katsumutsu orders a suicide cavalry charge on horseback. The samurai withstand the artillery barrage and break through Bagley's line. Algren kills Bagley, but the samurai are quickly mowed down by a Gatling gun. The Imperial captain, previously trained by Algren and horrified by the sight of the dying samurai, order the soldiers to cease fire, outraging Amuro. Katsumoto, mortally wounded, commits seppuku with Algren's help as the soldiers kneel in respect. On their way back to the village, we have this little fireside chat between Katsumoto and Algren, and it is clear that these two are definitely friends by now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That yeah. That, that, that they definitely have a, a special bond with each other. And, you know, Algren, he's like, you know, what do you want to do type of thing? And, you know, Kazumoto comes back, you know, I will die by the sword or, or I will die by my own sword or by my enemies. And then from there and then let it be the enemies. And so they, you know, they decide right then and there. They are resolute that they're going to stand up. And if Kazumoto can't convince the emperor, maybe both of them can convince the emperor. Sure. Something that I thought was kind of just interesting at this point of the movie from taking a step back and looking at it is that at this point, first of all, Algren is so connected to Kazumoto because Kazumoto has given him his life back. You know, he has now found purpose. He's whole again. At the same time, from all of his, you know, past memories, his PTSD, he was always on, you know, the superior armed side, just mowing people down. Now he's on that other side of it, getting ready to basically get into a losing battle and this kind of, I feel like, gives him back his purpose in his life. Well, he certainly has reason to live now because of his new family, if you will. You know, it, it was a very tender time when him and Taka are talking and Higgins shares his feelings about not wanting Algren to go. And I got to admit, when he goes outside and he's talking to him and I kind of teared up here, you know, when he was talking to the boy outside. It, and, and the boy's like, oh, don't go. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and this is also where, you know, as they're getting ready for battle, uh, Cuckoo Pants gets the armor of the dead husband. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think of that? That was weird. It was a little weird, right? Yeah. But also, it it's a culture thing. Well, I hope they had cleaned out the inside a little. He gets the armor, which you kind of had to see coming, and they get ready for battle. Do you think it was red to make uh, Cuckoo Pants stand out in the camera shots? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Possibly. Maybe Cuckoo Pants looked at it and said, you know what? This needs to be red. So they go into battle. What did you guys think of this last battle? Well, let's talk about, you know, the, the, the army showing up, right? You know, we take a look. They're up there on the hill, top of the hilltop, and they see, you know, all those soldiers coming in. Holy shit. 
you know, <laughs> that's, uh, that's probably two regiments. They'll come in waves of a thousand. Mm-hmm. Holy fuck. Yeah. I love how uh, when Algren's trying to talk Kazumoto into fighting back, he brings up um, basically the storyline from the movie 300. Yeah. Uh, how, you know, these 300 men lured them into basically, a you know, a little tunnel area, a little... Uh, Battle of Thermopolis. Of Thermopolis, uh, into there, and they took on like a million soldiers. A million. And mm-hmm. lasted a while. Yeah. Yeah, they lost their taste for the battle. Mm-hmm. So I love how he kind of inspired them, because that's exactly the kind of talk, you know, the Custer talk, that really got Kazumoto going. Well, Kazumoto, he says, you know, well, Algren asks, how many do we have? And uh, Kazumoto says, maybe like 500. Kind of like Custer, huh? Yeah. 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 And, you know, uh, in a war, that makes complete sense on how they did it and how they trapped them. Mm-hmm. You know, and... Not I don't know if I want to say unfortunately, but it happens in all of your battle epic movies. Yeah. The only thing I didn't quite get, and I'm still kind of searching for understanding, I, I understand a little bit, is not waiting another day or waiting till you have better odds, basically going into a battle where you know you're going to get slaughtered. Okay. Basically taking all the men from that village... Uh, leaving the village defenseless now, although hopefully the emperor and his men will have some honor, but, you know, just marching out to die. I mean, do you understand the point of that? Were they just making a point to the emperor or? Yeah, that they weren't going to be pushed around. Mm. They were fighting for what they believed in. Yeah, I I felt the same way. Yeah. So. I do like how uh, Yujizu comes out and he's looking at Algren in the red armor and he finally, you know, looks at him, checks the armor, you know, gives it a couple of slaps, and then he nods once in approval. It's like, yeah, yeah, he's accepting him, yeah. and they're going to go into battle together. And I knew that I, I was pretty confident that all of them were going to die except for Cuckoo Pants, and but I definitely knew that he was going to go. When we do get to the battle scene and people start dying off. Was there besides you know, was there a particular besides Kazimoto, was there a particular death that hit you the hardest? No. Between those two, uh him or Bob, which one was harder? Neither. 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 None of the deaths were you hard on me. You didn't feel attached to any of these characters? Not really. Well, well I kinda was attached to Bob a well, little bit. He was silent Bob. He didn't yeah. say anything. Yeah. Well, right. he talked at that point. I mean, he's lovable. Yeah. But I mean I, I didn't cry. And you said so. Of course, he's going to die on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. He's he's a warrior. He was but, a true warrior. And the way that he, you know, he gets what stabbed and shot several times. Well, it's not until they break out that Gatling gun that everyone goes to fucking shit, yeah. right? So he gets popped off. What I want to know is, as they're firing the Gatling gun, how does Cuckoo Pants not get hit? He gets hit a couple once times. or twice. Come on, yeah. that's a that gun's firing twenty rounds. Every eight minutes. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Tom Cruise at this point is immortal because he's been stabbed, he's been shot, he's been everything, and he just survives. That, that's a fair statement. Well, that's a fair those, statement. And those Gatling guns, they're ag- those Gatling guns could only fire straight. They, that, that style of Gatling, they, they don't swivel. It's just straight. So mm-hmm. all the strafing that they were doing, eh, that's not really happening, but whatever. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> And once again, it comes back to the fact that he is just somebody that, Always lives. Right. The character. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so uh, Kazumoto and him are on the ground. And one of the lieutenants or whatever in the army who ser- or who served with oh, uh, the crews. The second in command. The second in command. The, he's NC- like, the NCO. Yeah, he's like, oh, you guys got to stop. Stop firing, whatever. Um, but I do like how, does Cuckoo Pants get Bagley with a sword? Doesn't he throw a sword? He throws the sword. Oh, yeah. He, but he, he takes his samurai sword and he turns it around and he flings it and it hits all... And it, and it hits uh, vaguely. That's right. But I do love beforehand when they first ride out to discuss terms or whatever and to talk to each other and how uh, Algren says to Bagley, I'll look for you on the field. Yeah. Algren helps uh, Kazumoto uh, perform his seppuku. And then the uh, the NCO, the second in command, he is so taken by it that he removes his hat. Well, I guess it's a hat. They probably call it a hat. The one thing I didn't quite get, they're doing the seppuku, but the seppuku is two parts. It's one, you take your small sword, you're basically like a dagger type sword, and you just basically cut your stomach and basically so you bleed out. And then the other person at the same time is so it's supposed to be, you know, help be painless, it's supposed to take off your head. And Tom Cruise does not take his head off. Then they didn't do it right. So basically, he just, you know, he only did the first part of the seppuku. So it's not complete? No. But what I was getting back to was you have the NCO taking his hat, or, or I'm sorry, it bugs me, but you know what they call that in the military? They don't call it a hat. Cap. Nope. Knit. No. Top. Lid. No. no. A beanie? No. What? Cover. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, he falls to his knees, and then the entire regiment follows him, and everybody drops to their knees. Because Kazumoto was the man. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimate sign of respect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we cut to the Ambassador Swanbeck presenting the treaty to Emperor Menji. And wouldn't you know it, who crashes the party? Dr. Cuckoo Pants himself. Later, as trade negotiations conclude, the injured Algren interrupts the proceedings. He presents the Emperor with Kazumoto's sword and asks him to remember the traditions for which Kazumoto and his fellow samurai fought and died. The Emperor realizes that while Japan should modernize, it cannot forget its own culture and history. He rejects the trade offer, and when Omura protests, the Emperor tells him he has done enough and that he will seize Omura's fortune to distribute among the people. Amora claims to be disgraced, and the emperor offers him Kazumoto's sword, saying that if the shame is too great, Omura should commit seppuku. Omura relents and leaves. While various rumors regarding Algren's fate circulate, Graham concludes that Algren had returned to the village to reunite with Taka. Roll credits. So Cuckoo Pants manages to make it off the field, goes to the emperor, and... Presents Kazumoto's sword to the emperor. This and looked- I'm sorry, I this this I saw this coming a mile away as well. I knew the emperor was going to be like, "Oh no, wait, dude, you're right. Fuck these guys, and I'm going to honor our shit." Well, the one thing that really bothered me is Amoro already didn't like Algren, wanted him dead, and basically Algren shows up at the door, or he finds out that Algren's outside, and he says, "Sure, bring him on in." 
why did he not say, leave him the fuck out or arrest him or take him away or do something with him instead of bring him on in? Never thought about it. I didn't either. I thought it was a very strange move on his part. Well, joke's on him because Algren fucked it up for him. Yeah. So, what are you going to do? I do like the whole thing of Algren coming in and almost speaking for Kazimoto, gets on you know his knees, head on the ground, acting exactly probably how Kazimoto would have done that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then he, he more or less says, you know, what I think uh, Kazimoto would have said at the end, you know, when... Uh, we have Omura. So this man fought against you, your highness. If you believe me to be your enemy, command me and I will gladly take my life. I felt like he was just parroting uh, Kazumoto right there. So, hey, props to him. Mm-hmm. And the emperor went for it. Ultimately, Algren went there for Kazumoto because this is what Kazumoto wanted. And he was so attached to him and... Uh, there was so much honor between the two of them. You know, it was a no brainer that he went up there and did it. Uh, I think that the fact that he presents himself as one of the samurai and the emperor buys it because he feels so bad that he didn't listen to Kazumoto in the first place, Robert the Bruce, um, you know, it, it was, it was a very powerful scene. Mm-hmm. I do also feel that this is, uh, the final transition of Algren into a samurai when he basically offers up his life, when he basically says, you say so, I will take my own life. He has now really become the samurai. Yes, and then afterwards when uh, the emperor asks him, tell me how he died, and he responds with, I will tell you how he lived. Oh, so sweet. Mm-hmm. I do like to, it was pretty predictable for you know the emperor all of a sudden to man up at the end, uh, but where he tells Amaru that you know since you were in such a giving mood and everything, why don't we give away all of your lands and property and everything to the poor people? And that's where he says basically you dishonor me. Well, here's the sword to kill yourself. Yeah. One interesting thing that uh, I forgot to mention during our last part during that battle, there was a point where Tom Cruise almost died. Did you hear about that story? Yeah, where the sword got really close to his throat. Yeah, it got so close during one of the fight scenes where the horse moved differently or moved wrong that he actually got a cut on his neck. And if it had been just a little bit different, it would have basically uh, cut open Tom Cruise's neck. Yeah, well, just think of all the movies we wouldn't have gotten. And so uh, it kind of gets wrapped up with the ending narration and it... You know, some say that he went back to America. Some say that he died of his wounds. But Graham likes to think that he went back to the village to be with Taka. And, and that's kind of a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you thought know. so too. Yeah. So. Roll credits. Roll credits. So you guys remember the scene where it was just the, you know, the few samurai versus the many uh, Japanese soldiers. Did it remind you of Helm's Deep at all? Oh, fuck. Now it's time for John's moment. This is the point in our podcast where I compare the movie we are currently reviewing to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. Frodo is Nathan Algren. Like Frodo, 
Algren is a reluctant hero thrust into ex- extraordinary circumstances. Both are thrust into a journey that causes them to undergo personal and transformative experiences. Just as Frodo strives to resist the corruption, the corrupting influence of the One Ring, Algren has to learn to resist the death wish urges stemming from his traumatic past. Both end their journeys with new identities. Nathan is also Aragorn. Like Aragorn, Algren is a natural leader who has to go on a journey of self-discovery to truly understand his potential. As Aragorn began as a reluctant hero, Algren, too, was a reluctant hero stemming from being a disillusioned former soldier haunted by his past. Samwise is Ujio. Although Samwise in Lord of the Rings is always supportive of Frodo, it takes Ujio a while to come around. But when he begins training Algren in samurai sword fighting, he becomes a loyal and dedicated friend to Algren, helping to encourage him both directly and indirectly to continue on his journey. He is instrumental in helping Algren find his purpose through the ways of the samurai. In Lord of the Rings, Gimli is a fierce and loyal warrior known for his strength, bravery, and love for battle. Both characters have a strong warrior spirit and and demonstrate bravery and dedication to their respective causes. Nobutada is a skilled archer, also making him a close analogy for Legolas as well. Boromir would be Captain Simon Graham, played by Billy Connolly, because like Boromir, Connolly gets it pretty early on in the movie. My pick for get my pick for Gandalf is Katsimoto. In Lord of the Rings, Gandalf is a wise and powerful wizard who serves as a guide, mentor, and pivotal figure in the quest to destroy the ring. While Kazimoto does not does not pose or, while Kazimoto does not possess magical powers, both characters share similar qualities. Both are respected and revered figures with deep wisdom and strong and a strong sense of honor. The, they both provide guidance, inspire others, and act as a moral compass. So that would make our fellowship Nathan, Ujio, no, Nobutada, Captain Simon Graham, and Katsimoto. Gollum is a character consumed by his obsession with the One Ring. In Last Samurai, Amura is a self-absorbed, power-hungry industrialist who's obsessed with the modernization of Japan. Omura is obsessed with power and wealth and shows no remorse uh, for those who are hurt during his pursuit of power and wealth. So that makes him our golem. Saruman the White would be Colonel Bagley. Like Saruman, Bagley is initially an ally but eventually succumbs to the corruption and aligns himself with the forces of evil. Both Saruman and Bagley represent the consequences of unchecked ambition. So who is the Dark Lord Sauron? In The Last Samurai, there isn't one person that represents the Dark Lord. Instead, the analogy can be drawn that Sauron is is represented by the forces of modernization and imperialism. 
It's the encroachment of the Western influence and the erosion of traditional values. Modernization represents the oppressive entity that seeks to reshape the world. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? In The Last Samurai, the best analogy or comparison to the one ring is the samurai sword. While not inherently evil, the sword represents power and authority to some, honor and heritage to others. It's shown to have great power when Kazimoto offers it to the emperor. It changes Algren from a US sword from a US soldier to a samurai when he receives his sword. And it was his, and it was the refusal to give up the sword that led many to their deaths. And there you have it, my comparison of The Last Samurai to Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. What you got? You know, I'm not sure because I didn't necessarily see uh, a lot of the connections outside of the Gandalf-Frodo. And for the most part, I'm, I'm, thinking, a big fat, I'm thinking a big fat C. I saw the Aragorn qualities for sure. Yeah. Uh, the one that kind of baffled me and I scratched my head was uh, Gant was only Boromir because he died. Because he died quickly. He well, served his purpose and was oh, was out of the movie fairly quickly. Eh, okay. A bit of a, that, go, that's a bit of a stretch. But that's, that's like saying uh, Gant is the equivalent to Orc number four. He just died quickly. Um, Mates back on the menu, boys. <laughs> I did like the ring bit, though, because though not inherently evil, uh, you found a way to correlate that. So, you know what? I'm going to be a little bit more generous than Professor Poofy Pants over here. I'm going to give you a C plus. And that was John's. Moment. All right. What do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. John, are you ready to rate this flick? Which translates to, I am ready. Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. Anytime somebody says, hey, you want to watch The Last Samurai? You're like, fuck yeah, I do. A one fuck movie is, uh, you know, you watched it once and you're done. You're never going to watch it again. There's nothing you want to see about it again. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is you get done watching it and you're like, Oh, for shit's sake. What the hell? Who made me? Why, why would you make me? I want two hours and 34 minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right, Professor, you picked it. You're going. The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise is definitely a Tom Cruise movie. All the way through the movie, you're going, yep, that's Tom Cruise. Although his hair does grow to show a passage of time. It starts a little shorter, then it gets a little longer, has a scruffy beard. Yep, that's still Tom Cruise. But outside of that, you know, I thought that Ken Watanabe, he was exemplary in this movie. He was so entertaining to watch, and I really appreciated his dialogue. There's definitely some good dialogue that happens back and forth in this movie during the quieter times of uh, of the movie. It is a little long, you know, being, you know, two and a half hours long. But I understand because, you know, we need to see the conversion that happens for Algren to go ahead and accept his new situation and come to embrace it. So, you know, that takes time to, you know, to, to have that happen. The supporting characters, I thought they were fine, but, you know, I really think that what really helps sell the movie is the music. There's definitely some wonderful music cues. 
The cinematography of the movie was okay. I didn't necessarily find myself going, wow, to any of the shots necessarily. There was one Michael Bay shot when we have uh, Katsumoto explaining about the petals of the of the blossoms being the perfect blossom. It's just like, oh, look at that Michael Bay shot. Oh, well, whatever. But in the end, you know, I, I still found the movie to be enjoyable. Like I said, I've seen it a couple times before, and watching it this time around, it was every bit just as fine. I'm giving this movie 3.5 fucks. Three and a half fucks from the professor. Would you like me to go next? No, I'll go. You uh, go next. Oh, thanks, buddy. I thought this Last Samurai was a fine film. It was crafted very nicely. I agree with you, Professor, on the soundtrack. I'm always a big fan of Hans Zimmer. That I think Hans Zimmer scores elevate films to a different level. And though the subject matter was interesting and I paid attention more this time around to the Japanese culture and Cuckoo Pants didn't really take me out of it. But I also agree with you again, Professor, when you see Tom Cruise, that's Tom Cruise. The supporting cast was great. I think the standout of the film easily was Ken Watanabe and obviously because he got nominated. But other than that, I thought the story, though based on history, it it was very uh, kind of paint by numbers for me. And if you've seen one epic battle, you've seen them all. And... The Last Samurai didn't go out of its way to do anything to make me go, wow, or look at that shot. It's absolutely beautiful. Is it passable? Sure. Is it one of Tom Cruise's best films? I don't think so, but what do I know? Uh, I'm giving The Last Samurai three fucks. Is it my turn? Uh, Yeah, I think so. You are the last samurai, but go ahead. You are the last podcaster. But before I go... Would you like to guess my score? Uh, I think you've been on a run lately. Yeah, I have. You were going to give The Last Samurai 2.75 fucks. Is that your final answer? Should it be my final answer? I don't know. Is that your final answer? Should it be my final answer? That would be your call. What should be my final answer? Oh, are we playing the questions game? Sure. No, that's not a question. It was. No, sure is not a question. When you play the questions game, you can only ask questions pertaining to like, the subject. Sure. Sure. Is that your final answer? Sure. <laughs> All right, uh, fucker, because we've built it up too much. I'm going to stick with 2.75 fucks. The Last Samurai is a visually stunning film that falls short in the terms of authenticity and character depth. Tom Cruise delivers a solid performance as Algren with his demons and resurrection into a new hero. The depth of the character Ken Watanabe as Katsimoto is the movie's saving grace, stealing the show with his compelling performance, capturing the spirit and honor of the samurai. The battle sequences, while beautifully choreographed, are often overshadowed by the film's pacing issues and slow, over-emotional moments. Director Edwin Zwick's attempt at capturing the samurai's culture feels a bit glamorized, bordering on almost superheroic and lacking in realism. It's worth a watch, but don't expect it to be an entirely authentic portrayal of the samurai culture. So with that, I'm giving The Last Samurai three fucks. 
Oh, missed it by that much. With three and a half fucks from the professor, three fucks from the comic book guy, and three fucks from yours truly, that gives The Last Samurai an average of 3.2 fucks, which ties it in the 21st spot with Bloodsport, Red Dawn, Galaxy Quest. It is slightly better than Flash Gordon, The Untouchables, The Wolf of Wall Street, and slightly worse than Robocop. Roadhouse, Chef, and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Well, I can understand Roadhouse. How can it be better than Flash Gordon? Um, Because it is? is? I mean, if this movie had Hawkman, I would kind of understand. It has Horseman. Does that not count? No? No. All right. Well, there you go. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website. Speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? They can find us at www.threeguysinaflick.com where we go ahead and post all of our podcasts, show notes, movie, movie trivia, as well as well anything else that we feel like posting there. And there's a form on the website where you can go ahead and submit a movie you would like us to review next. You can also find us at all of social media or any place that hosts podcasts. All right. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to send a special thanks to Nolan for requesting The Last Samurai. We had fun talking about it and reviewing it. We hope that you had fun listening to it. Yeah, good job, Nolan. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. don't have a samurai sword that's weird i don't have a samurai that sword. is wait, weird wait how many swords do you have uh five or six and whoa whoa whoa, 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 whoa wait, hang, hang on hang on hang on you have five or six swords you don't count lightsabers as swords no what okay they okay. would call okay them okay hang, hang on it, oh i see uh professor would you consider a lightsaber a sword yeah yeah me too to each his own okay you were going on about six swords but none of them are samurai. No, because the one I want is the Kill Bill Hanzo sword. And fair enough, whatever. You don't have a samurai, but you do have six. All right, yes. let me let me see if I can guess. All right, can you guess uh, which one's my favorite too? Well, okay, one one thing at a time. You have uh, the sword from Princess Bride. Yes. Yes, the six fingered man sword. Okay, yeah. he has the six. Uh, I'm sure you have a Lord of the Rings sword. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have Aragorn's sword? I have Aragorn's sword. And then do you count Sting as a sword or is it just kind of a, it's a hobbit sword. It's in the name. Right. Thundercats? Oh yeah, you, you have you the. You held all yeah, my right. <laughs> Yes, I have. Uh, sword of Omens. Uh, you don't have a full size uh, He-Man sword, do you? Yes, I do. You got one? Remember I brought it over. Oh. What about Highlander? Do you have the Highlander sword? Uh, I do not have the katana, no. Oh, okay. I have the McLeod sword, the uh, the one from when he was still. That would be a uh, Highlander sword. No, well, he carries around uh, Ramirez's katana throughout the movie. But <laughs> well, in the very beginning. Well, wait, 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 hang on. What movie, John? Highlander. Okay, so it's a Highlander sword.
Okay, well, yeah, I have a Highlander sword. Have have Are there still any? I think that might be all of them. Okay. Uh, but now you want to go to the lightsabers since they're apparently swords too? No, because outside of really Obi-Wan, Vader, and Luke, I don't give a fuck. What about Mace? Outside of Obi-Wan, Vader, and Luke, I don't give a fuck. What about Yoda? Is he going to make me say it again? Yep. Okay, well. Now, which one? Uh... Luke had two lightsabers throughout the series. The green one. Luke's okay. Luke's actual lightsaber. Wait, you Not his dad's, you don't have but Luke's, his. You don't have the blue one? I have both of them. Of course he has both of them. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Do you have one? No. This, this one, again, I thought was a pretty easy one. Oh, but by all means. The Lust Samurai. Did you have a different name besides the no, Lust I, Samurai? No. The Last Sausage? I don't know. No, see. That's too far off. Yeah. Samurai... Both have swordplay. The last Bukaki? That's too far off. That's too far off? All right. May all of your uh, days and nights be filled with happiness. All right. Fuck off. Good night. <laughs>